ผู้มีเกียรติค่ะในลำดับต่อไปค่ะขอเรียนเชิญทุกท่านพบกับการบรรยายค่ะในหัวข้อ Ideas Box Learning and Creativity in Any Place โดยคุณ Jeremy Lasals ค่ะ Ladies and gentlemen please join me in welcoming Mr. Jeremy Lasals Good afternoon, Sawatika. So, I'm Jeremy, and today I'm going to tell you a story about uh, creativity, about learning, about human dignity. But before telling you this story, I have a confidence to make. Actually, I'm not a librarian. No, please don't run away. Actually, I love Thailand. It's better, and I love libraries and librarians. Actually, I dedicated my 10 last year to support libraries and librarians around the world, because I truly believe that libraries are the places where we can solve local and global issues of today and tomorrow. I believe that information and education in today's world are maybe the best or the worst, I would say, factors. That creates inequalities. At Libraries Without Borders, the NGO that we founded 10 years ago, we believe that libraries are no longer just a collection of books. And I think that Les and Rob presented us this morning and this afternoon. This is in the best manner as possible. We think that they are connectivity hub that empower economic and human development and provide people with the tools to transform their lives. What is the size of the problems that we are talking about? Today, there are 250 million children across the globe that are not learning basic literacy and numeracy skills, and 57 million are out of schools. So we are going to talk about learning. We are going to talk about education, but we are going to go a little bit deeper and ask ourselves: What is education? What is education for? Do we want only to raise parrots, or do we want to raise citizens? Only 43% of the world population is connected to the internet, and 800 million people still live in extreme poverty. You may say this is not connected, you know, the poverty with the access to the internet, with the education. I say yes, it's totally connected. At Libraries Without Borders, we work on very different kind of problematics. We try to tackle this question of vulnerability, fragility of population, and we try to tackle it through a better access to information and education. Either we speak about humanitarian and post-conflict intervention, empowerment, education, and access to culture, or social entrepreneurship and transformation. We have served more than two million people around the world in 20 countries since 2007, and we work with more than 5,000 librarians trained to be called cultural entrepreneurs. I will tell you a little bit more, a little bit more about this entrepreneur thing after a while. But let me start with a story. This story starts in Haiti. You know Haiti, this little country. That shares border. It's an island that shares border with the Republic, the Dominican Republic. It's near Cuba. It's the poorest country of the America. And Haiti, its capital, Port-au-Prince, 
was stricken in 2010 by a terrible earthquake that killed more than 250,000 people and left more than 1.5 million people in the street. We were working in Haiti before the earthquake with the Ministry of Education and the Ministry of Culture to build and support the library system in the country. But when the earthquakes happened, our partners on the field called us and told us, we need you, we need you to create with us some libraries in the camps for displaced people. It was three weeks after the earthquake. We were like, do you think it, this is a priority, to create libraries where, when everything is collapsed, people need food, people need shelters? And they were like, yes, we need libraries. So we started. We try. Why not? And we create 20 libraries under tents in the camps. It was very, you know, uncraft. A tent, some books, a whiteboard where people could share some information, and a safe space for children. And something very interesting happened. Everybody in the camps came to come, became, began, began to come to the library. It became a kind of focal point in the, in the camps where people were gathering, were going to share some information about food distribution, about walks. They could leave their children safe during the day. In humanitarian crisis, as I was saying, we are told, always talking about basic needs about food, about shelter, about care. But very quickly, after the catastrophe, people need to reconstruct themselves and to see what will be the future. Do you have any idea of the average time spent by a refugee in a camp today? Say a number. Any idea? In the world, at a global level, the average time spent by a refugee. No idea? 17 years. So yes, we can talk about emergency, we can talk about these basic needs, but 17 years in a camp? Some months ago I was in Jordan, in you know, these big camps that had been built for Syrian refugees. They are in the middle of the, the, the desert, people cannot go out of the camp, they cannot walk. What? can you do during 17 years without walking, without going out of the camps? You have to imagine a new life. That's what we are trying to do with Libraries Without Borders. Because from this experience in the camps, we had some friends in the US at the Yale Law School, a law teacher that was going through the UN guidelines, the United Nations Organization guidelines for displaced and refugee people. And they never talk about access to information. They never talk about communication, about education, about languages, about cultures. They only talk about food distribution, water distribution, these famous basic needs. And we were like, don't you think it's important to do so? So we began to launch a petition, an international call to action, to change the United Nations guidelines. We have like 
many, many signatories, many famous writers, 10 Nobel Prizes. It was totally crazy. This was in 2012. And we are like, wow, this is impressive. So we took our petition and we went to the UN General Secretary. And we told him, it's now time to change the guidelines. And you, he was like, okay, you're a little bit naive, you know, we don't change the UN guidelines like this. It's going to take some time. But before that, you need to build something that, it's, that is standardized, that can go inside you know, the humanitarian logistics system, that is transportable, that is robust. So we have to imagine something totally new, a new kind of library that will fit in a box. We wanted something that, that could be easily transportable, as I was saying, that we could put in a plane. So we took the pallet. You know the pallet is the international standard for transportation. The size of the tablet, the pallet is like half a table like this, maybe a third of a table like this. It's pretty small for a library. So we took two pallets. And we wrote to the designer, Philip Stark. Maybe some of, new, of you know him. He's one of, of the pride of France, you know. He's one of our most famous designers. And he accepted very quickly to design that because it was like, oh, it's like the circus that came to my little village when I was a kid. But he was like, this is totally impossible, guys. It's impossible to fit a library in two pallets. So he began to design it, and we tried to figure out what would be the volumes of the things that we wanted to put inside. An internet connection, of course, tablets, computers, books, electronic and paper books, a generator for electricity, a cinema, places to make theater, creative activities, educational activities. We needed furniture. It was too big. But we had a very good designer, actually. So he created the ideas box. Two palettes, four colors. You will see like there are these four modules and two tables. Oh, actually, two, two cases that make four tables. And when you open it, it creates a 100 meter square safe space with all the furniture inside with the cinema, with the computers, with the tablets, with the library. We have four modules that open in less than 20 minutes and give access to a true library in any context over the world. Maybe before moving a little bit more forward, I want to, you to watch a little videos about the first implementation of the Ideas Box it was in 2014 in Burundi. Burundi is in Central Africa. It's just next to Congo and to the most violent part of Congo where there had been wars and conflict since 20 years. And there are lots of refugees in Burundi. It's just like South Rwanda. So there are Congolese refugees and Rwandese refugees. And in these camps, we implemented the first four ideas box in 2014. Souvent la vie nous hante et nous soumet aux épreuves. 
quand nous plaque au bas de l'échelle où l'angoisse triomphe sur nos espoirs. On vient toujours de quelque part, ce qui t'impressionne ou une histoire. Ton voisin, c'est un exemple, il avance, il t'a prouvé que quand on veut, on peut viser, que quand on cherche, on peut trouver. Après l'échec, prends-toi à main et redessine ton avenir. Le demi, le demi de la, du lac, de lac Victoria, le demi c'est combien Je réponds au nom de Moulon de la Patience et j'ai fui mon pays suite à l'insécurité. Comme dit le droit, l'enfant a droit à l'éducation. Nous sommes vraiment à la carence des matériels didactiques. Quand j'avais appris que Mandela était mort, j'avais appris ça après quatre jours. Je me trouve comme si je suis abandonné peut-être même dans, dans une sorte de tombe, mais je ne suis pas enseveli. C'est vrai. Je réponds au nom de Kanyuri Masawa Consolata. Je suis réfugié politique. Je suis séparé de tout. On n'a pas accès à l'information et à la formation. Il n'y a pas d'Internet. Il n'y a même, même pas d'informatique. Mon nom est Demsi Munga Mouloli. Je fuis les atrocités des, des, des groupes rebelles qui, qui se faisaient au Congo. J'aime lire, j'aime aussi écrire. Je suis artiste slammer, je suis chroniqueur également. Nos journées, nous, nous les passons souvent à la maison où on déambule juste dans, dans, dans l'entourage du camp sans rien faire. On a changé de vie juste dans quelques minutes. On, on avait des occupations au Congo qu'on a appelées ici. On est isolé du monde. Ce qui nous manque le plus, c'est surtout la culture. Quand on n'a plus rien, la seule chose qu'on ne peut pas vous enlever, c'est le rêve. C'est pour ça que Bibliothèque sans frontières m'a tellement touché, car c'est juste, c'est très juste, car c'est la première et la dernière chose à donner à des gens qui ont tout perdu. Il faut que tout d'un coup, il y a des gens qui arrivent, qui tombent du ciel, et qui ont des valises de toutes les couleurs, et qui montent une tente, et à l'intérieur de chaque valise, il y a de la merveille. Nos enfants font devenir des savants avec ça. 
on va les comparer avec les enfants de là chez vous. Demain ou après-demain, notre pays peut avoir la paix. Ces enfants seront utiles à la société congolaise. Ça peut m'aider vraiment, ça doit. Parce que je, je travaille énormément et je tiens. Je donne le meilleur de, de moi-même si juste une, les conditions sont réunies. So we delivered the first four boxes to Burundi and in three months more than 20,000 people came. It was totally crazy. Actually, something very interesting because we trained the refugees to manage the box. And four months after the first implementation, there was a riot in one of the camps because the food distribution was diminishing. And people were very angry. So they began to destroy everything in the camp. And near the food distribution point, uh, the box was just next to this point. But they didn't touch the box. And when the police came to stop the riot, people formed a human chain around the ideas box. And this story is very important for us because it means ownership. And maybe. This is the one key word I want you to remember of my intervention today. Ownership. Community ownership. How do you create places that give people the tools to empower themselves to create something new from the situation they are? So the thing is that when we began that program, we were not thinking about a scale-up uh, so quick or fast scale-up. The United Nations was very interested by our project, not because it was libraries, and I will come back on that later, but because it was point for human-centered design, places where people could create a solution to their own problems. And this is a very trendy topic in humanitarian study right now. So we began to implement ideas box in Jordan, in Lebanon, in Iraq for the Syrian crisis, in Ethiopia for Somali's refugees, in Greece, in France, in Germany for the refugees crossing the Mediterranean Sea to Europe. And uh, we are starting another program in the frame of the peace, uh, the peace process in Colombia. We'll come back on that later too. So kind of quick scaling up, and now we have around five, 55 ideas box in humanitarian and post-conflict situation, and we'll have like 100 more by the end of this year. 
What are the impacts of all of that? Better education. We run uh, RCT, randomized control trial, uh, in one of the camps in Burundi uh, with uh, 500 uh, children. And we figure out that IDS box increases academic performance by 23%. It's huge. And we were wondering why, why, why is that happening? Is it because of the resources, the contents, the electronic contents available in the, in the IDS box? You know, we use tools like the Khan Academy for mathem mathematical uh, studies. We use Coursera MOOCs for students. So, yes, for sure it's a part of it. But the thing is that in the, in the trial, the students and the, the children who came to the box with their teacher were the ones who were like studied. But at the same time, some of them stayed in the class. And we compared the result of, this, of the both group. So you can say, yeah, they had one of the group had access to the resources. But at the end of the day, school, every children, either they were on the test or the trial group or the control group, they could go to the box. So anyway, every children in the camps came to the box after a while. So these children could access to the resources anyway. So part of these 23% are because of the resources. But another part is very interesting. I think it's very interesting for our topic today. And this part was explained to us by the teachers. They explained to us that it's not only because of the resources, it's because of the interaction in the classroom. Hmm. That's interesting. What does it mean? It means that I don't know how school is performed in Thailand, but when you go to Africa, or when you go to France, actually, it's very like this. It's very, you know, magistral, like the teacher talking to the students. I think it's the most inefficient way of being creative and being in a learning experience. And the teachers told us you know, when we enter the ideas box and when we do the class in the ideas box, the whole teaching experience is changing because we don't have the tables and the chairs. Children sit wherever they want and we create a whole new experience with much more interaction and with much more curiosity for the children because they can move, they can interact with the tablet, we can watch a movie, they can talk together. So better education. Child protection, of course, because you can imagine that in this kind of situations, child encounters great dangers. And when you can offer a safe space where the children can go but want to go, it's a big deal in terms of protection. Youth empowerment, and I will come back a little bit more later on that. Ideas Box promotes curiosity, social cohesion, and creativity, and community building. Wow, this impact. Doesn't it remind you anything? Yeah, same impact that in a library, no? You don't measure the same impact in your libraries? Libraries Without Borders works hand-in-hand -hand with local NGOs to customize the ideas box to the needs of the population. Highly modular, it can be used in both formal and non-formal education. 
and as a tool to address psychosocial needs. The Malakasa camp in Greece is home to 600 Afghan refugees, including 150 children. Their inability to move onwards has left them feeling abandoned. Most of them are very angry and uh, they right to feel angry. So they have to learn how to deal with the bad feelings they feel. Most of these children uh, haven't been to a normal school. Today I think uh, they started to be a part of an educational group. They learned how to respect each other. The Ideas Box arrived in Malacasa in September. To utilize its full potential, Libraries Without Borders spent two weeks training Constantina. The Ideas Box uh, is very helpful for my job because it has materials that I can use, for example, to make your own blog and feel like a journalist that can uh, write an article and share it with each other. If you are creative, you can use Ideas Box in very different ways. Impact studies show that beyond its educational features, the Ideas Box is also a powerful tool for community building. We started organizing classes uh, and there is a willingness by the community to accept these rules, to be uh, in the class according to the time schedule, to really take advantage of the possibilities of uh, having a space for learning. In humanitarian emergencies, education is not always seen as a basic need. Libraries Without Borders created Ideas Box to address this. Sorry for the Chinese uh, sign, it's not for you, it's because <laughs> it's for a video shot for the WISE Award that was uh, awarded in, in, in Beijing actually, so that's why it's in Chinese, it's not a mistake for me. <laughs> uh, okay, so you can't say why is this guy crossing the continents, come to Fr from France to Thailand to talk about refugees? Yeah, I could I've come on only to talk to you about refugees because I think it's a very important matter. But the thing is that when we exhibited the Ideas Box, actually it was in Lyon in 2014, in the IFLA conference, the International Federation of Library Association conference. There were many librarians from all over the world at that conference. And some of them came to us some of them were coming from Western country, from France, from the US, from Australia. And they came to us telling us, hey, it's a great idea. It's not only for refugees. We need this kind of ideas for our libraries here in France, in the US, in Australia. We need this kind of devices, this kind of tools to reach new patrons, to reach, to outreach our activities. Because these people were very concerned about the fact that most of the population don't go to the library. And it is one of my first concerns. I'm not really concerned about the people who go to the library. I'm pretty more concerned about those who don't go and why don't they go. So, yeah, this was, for me, this is a funny one reverse innovation. Reverse innovation, uh, it was at a WISE, so WISE is like this uh, big conference for innovation in, in education. It's like funded by the Qatar Foundation. And they bring together 4,000 people every year to talk about like the future of education. So I was like uh, at the panels 
at the WISE conference, and the moderator told me, hey, guys, you are doing reverse innovation. I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what is it? But you have created something for the refugees, and you are bringing it to, 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 to our country, to France, to the US. I was like, yeah, OK. Actually, I didn't create something for the refugees. I created something for people. Because you know, sometimes you have, we have like this bias to think about refugees as only refugees. First of all, they are people, they are individuals with needs, of course, with plenty of needs, but plenty of potential too. So we created a new tool for many different people. So we can call that reverse innovation because we have created it that for more experience in Haiti and we are bringing it all over the world. For me, just innovation. It doesn't have to be reverse. So I was saying, we began to implement Ideas Box in France. It's in Paris, actually. You know, like this beautiful river with like these little bridges, the beautiful parks. Oh, in the parks, there were like lots of homeless people. And these homeless people were not going to the library. And it was an interesting example. It was the first one, and I think it's one of my favorite ones, because the library, there was like a new, very interesting children's library that was opening just like 500 meters away from this park. But this library was kind of hidden behind buildings. So they had a very big problem of uh, communication. How do we inform people that the library is opening in two or, or three weeks? So we arrived with the ideas box in the park. And we were distributing library user cards to the people, with the librarians, actually. For these librarians, it was the first time that they left their library. And they, go, they went on, in the street, you know. It was yeah, a tough experience for them, because when you have to deal with homeless people, sometimes they were drunk, sometimes they were drugged, sometimes <laughs> they were just friendly, you know? But sometimes they were violent, for sure. And some of them were migrants with lots of different languages. So the first days, the librarians were a little bit lost. But progressively, they adapt themselves, because I'm sure that one thing that a library, librarian know, knows is how to adapt. So we had this program, and on the first day, there was this very funny story, because you know this pretty young lady who came to the box, began to, to play with the, uh, lots of different uh, board, board games in the box, and they began to play, and there was like an old homeless guy who sat just next to her, and they began to talk with her, with him, and they began to play with him. And they played during two hours with him. And it was very interesting, very, you know, this kind of relationships that we want to see in a library, because it cannot happen anywhere else. Another example, which is quite interesting, is the one we did in Sarcelles. Sarcelles is a very low-income neighborhood or city uh, near Paris, like 20 minutes away from Paris in the north. From, for those who came, already came to France, when you arrive at the airport, you have like a beautiful airport, and you take the train, and this train like, goes through all what we, what we call banlieue in French, I would say like the suburbs, 
and we have like this uh, system in France that have all the incomes and the uh, and, and the, the the wealth that go inside the city and all the poor outside. And there is like the big barriers between the both. In Sarcelles, 20 minutes from Paris, most of the kids have never been to Paris. It's totally crazy, the, the difference between these two worlds. So we had like this summer camp, two, two months in the middle of the big, you know, old buildings with the libraries. And the libraries was 200 meters away from where we put the ideas box. And on 1,000 youth who came to the box during the summer, only 30% of them had come to the library. That's interesting, isn't it? The librarians were like, wow, who are these people? We don't know them. <laughs> so it's very funny. But it was very interesting to see that, you know, these people, because the, you know, the ideas box is totally open, so when you arrive, you can see what is going on. You hear, there were like music, there were like Rihanna, uh, very, very loud music. There were like children who were painting, or there were like, like some theater activities, uh, some after-school programs, workshops for, for the mothers. So many, many activities at the same time. And they were actually, without being in the libraries, in the library, they could see what happened inside. And they could know a little bit more about what could the library bring to them. So each of these 1,000 young, young people now is registered to the library. And this is something very important for me because we always talk about access. In France, for example, there are 20% of the population that we say don't have access to the library because they are more than 20 minutes away by car from a library. So in rural areas, we have 20% of the population who don't have access to a library. Well, yes, but we are talking about physical barriers. What about social and symbolic barriers? Why only 15% of the French population is registered to a library? Why that? We had another experience in the Bronx, in New York. You may know the Bronx, it's quite famous because of all these terrible movies about you know, gangsters and uh, violence in the Bronx. So we had a summer camp with the New York Public Library in Maurice Haight, which is one of the most low-income neighborhoods in the Bronx. And it was totally crazy because they began to have like rap, hip-hop, a workshop in the box, uh, and it began to attract like so many people that at some point they had to stop. Like the people say, "Okay, now now we are full. We cannot accept more people." But it's not. It was not only about hip hop. It was a lot about actually after school or uh, remedial school for children who were like a lit little bit lost uh, during the summer. And we have Frank, 13 years old who say the ideas box will affect how I do in school. Well, in school I don't really raise my hand, I'm kind of shy. But at the ideas box you get experience talking and sharing your ideas. So now in school I will be more comfortable talking. Again, this is not due to the ideas box. This is what we learn in a library. 
The ideas box, I will say the strength of the ideas box is only to bring the library to the people. Talking about that, a third example, the one in Australia. Australia is a very, very big country with lots of desert and lots of remote locations. In the Aboriginal uh, communities, there were some library services before the ideas box. But you know, sometimes you have like this uh, car distribution of books because you want to go like to, to a village and so the, the central libraries bring books in the trunk of the car and uh, distribute books to the library or to the community. In Australia, they had to take plane <laughs> because it was 1,000 kilometers away. Can you imagine that? And during the raining season, they couldn't go to the village. So with them, we decided with the West Western Australia Library, which is like a, a state library, we decided to initiate some uh, Ideas Box programs. So we have two Ideas Box now in different Aboriginal communities. And it's interesting because for the first time, I heard this term from one of the people uh, from the community who told me it's like a it's like a window on the world. I love this idea of uh, you know, having the library as a window on the world. It's a way to reconnect to the world. And when you know what the state has done to the Aboriginal people in Australia, how the institution has totally crushed them and acculturated them, they just wipe out, they try to wipe out the Aboriginal culture. So it's very interesting to see how they use the box to get, again, ownership on their own culture. How they, they use the video camera, for example, to record uh, the ancestor, the ancient stories uh, from the old people. So this is what a library can bring to people. This sense of community, this sense of heritage, tradition, and this sense of window of the world to prepare the future. So, now we have more than 30 ideas box implemented with libraries and local institutions to serve poor and rural communities. And guess what? No one in Asia. That's a big problem, right? <laughs> The thing which is very interesting is that we rely on very different models because when we created libraries for borders at the beginning, we didn't want and we still don't want to do instead of. We are not there to replace librarians in Africa, in Australia, in the US, in France, or in Latin America, or maybe tomorrow in Asia. Because we know that a library can only work if it's ruled and managed by the people, by the local people who know the local needs and how people, what people need to get their problems solved. So that's why we don't arrive and manage a library on an ideas box. We want like this kind of transfer of ownership and management of the books. So we have different models. In refugee camps, of course, we cannot work with, oh, sometimes we can, but uh, 
uh, we work more with the, the civil society, the big non-profit organization. But when we talk about Western countries, when we talk about Colombia, we do work with the Ministry of Cultures or local authorities to bring the ideas box. For example, I was talking about Colombia before. Colombia is a very good example. Colombia has been is a country that has been through 50 years of war, of conflict with the FARC revolution. And last summer, they signed a peace treaty. They, decide, they decided to sign it very quickly. You know, it took like three months. There had been like many, many years of negotiation, but somehow, like this summer, they decided to sign it. And the Ministry of Culture, the National Library of, uh, uh, of Colombia, called us and told us we need to implement Ideas Box in these uh, post-conflict areas because the government wants to create demobilization camps for uh, former combatants. And we want to be the first one with the libraries to get back in these areas. You need to know that these areas has been left vacant by the institution since 1950. So for 50, 60 years, there had no institution in these areas. And the Ministry of Culture said, okay, we want that the first institution to go back, to come back in this area, have to be libraries. I think the symbol is pretty strong. So we began to try to figure out how we could do that. Actually, we brought 20 ideas box in the country. And these ideas box are going to start like next, in two weeks, the first one. It took some time because the peace treaty was signed but not ratified by the population. So there had some problems, but at least we are there. So the ideas box implementation begin like in, in February, so very soon. But the thing is, which is interesting is that these ideas box are going to be managed by uh, Colombian librarians from the National Library. That will be from this area. So they're trying to, to cast the people to, to select the good one. And we bring, as Library Without Borders, we bring some what we call field experts. So five field experts for, for some months, just to support, train the local government uh, and the local librarians to use this ideas box. And actually, we are not going to train them to be librarians because they know, already know how to be librarians. And actually, the Colombian librarians are pretty well trained in terms of catalog, in terms of indexation, in them of all this librarian stuff. We train them to be creative. We train them to create some learning spaces. And if we look a little bit more in details, about how we do that and why we do that. We try to train them with this idea that libraries need to give the people the tools to solve the problems, their own problems, and to transform their lives. And when we talk about former combatants, or when we talk about villages that have been so remote and so far from institution, it means democracy, it means citizenship, it means basic education, it means employment, all of these things that a library can bring. So let's look a little bit deeper. 
We did that first in the camps in Burundi, and now in all the ideas box all around the world, but not only. We do lots of workshops uh, and training sessions for librarians all over the world to train them to, be, to become um, code, to, 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 to create coding boot camps and coding programs uh, to train the children, the students, the mother sometimes, how to code, how to code their own softwares. And it's very interesting here in Burundi because this mother actually don't know how to read, but they know how to code. So digital literacy is very important. Another one is family bonds and intergenerational activities. This is also very important for me because when I started Libraries for Borders, it was like 10 years ago, but it was like one of the first programs we did, and we did it in the New Orleans in the US. It was quite, you know, unexpected for us because we were working in Africa. And, but we had like this opportunity to to do like this international program in New Orleans with the French embassy there. Because actually, the thing which is very interesting in New Orleans is that the parents, some parents, talk, speak French. The grandparents, oh, uh, okay, begin again. The grandparents speak French, the parents speak English, and the children, they don't know what to speak. And we have the same problem in France with migrants, by the way. And you see that in many, many, many different locations. And when you see that, and when you see how education tries to crush all this difference, because differences maybe are the best enemies of educational systems. They want like this homogenization. It's much more easy to homogenize you know, the children and to say, OK, we are going to deliver the same education for every one of you. But Children are different. Children come with their traditions. Children come with their grandparents, who came maybe from another country. And these intergenerational activities are very important to transmit this heritage, to transmit this link, and to create a more vibrant society. And in terms of my Colombian example, it's very, very important, because all these parents and grandparents have gone through the war and can explain to their children how it was and why we shouldn't start again. Young adults, civic engagement and mobilization. This is another piece very important in terms of learning, actually. We work in Calais. Maybe you know Calais. It's in North France. Just like Calais is the border because it's on the the channel, you know, the sea between France and the UK. It's like the acting border between France and the UK for migrants who want to go to the UK. So there was like this big camp in Calais. But the thing that all the attention of the media, you know, is focused on the refugee problem. But in Calais, in France, 20% of the population live below the poverty line. In some neighborhoods, 50% of the population is unemployed. It's one of the most devastated areas in France. Because it was like the former big factories, mines were there, and everything has closed. So we work in Calais, in this very low-income neighborhood, and we work 
what we call in France politique de la ville. We could say like city planning and policy. And it's for the very poor areas. And in the engagement on this uh, kind of, you know, they, they draft some very formal documents for that. And one of the engagements is civic, civic engagement of youth. Oh, yeah, you can say that. How you engage people, you know, youth people who don't have any interest in school or in a, a, they don't believe anymore in democracy because they know that their future is totally blocked. And it's very interesting when you bring an ideas box, or when you bring, or when you open a library, how you create a new space of interaction, a new space where people can express themselves. So we brought the Council of Citizens. So Council of Citizens, they, they do that in these kind of areas. Like, you know, some, most of the time it's very old people who are like, who have a problem because, you know, there is a sign on the street which is not in the good direction or because uh, the, the pathway is dirty or whatever. So they come to that and they, they come to, uh, to complain. So it's not very interesting, actually. And with, with that box, we go directly in the worst neighborhood and we attract young people. And we say, okay, let's talk about the future of your dream, the, the city of your dream. What would you like as a city for your fellows, for your children? How could you imagine a better way of living together? And when you ask this question, people get power again. People have many ideas and you can go through, like you can create some direct democracy spaces within the city, with the library. So the Ideas Box is very useful for that, of course, because you go directly to the people. Community building and peace building, I was talking about um, Colombia before, of course, but we have a psychosocial um, impact assessment in the camps, in refugee camps in uh, Jordan and Lebanon. And one of the first things that came out from this uh, assessment was, wow, this is a peace-building tool. It's not only peace, as you can say, like peace against war. It's a conflict resolution tool. A place where people can come, talk about their problems, and try to find, to resolve them, and try to find solutions together. So it's kind of a mediation, facilitation space where people can work together. Rural development, this is very important because I truly believe that one of the biggest difference now between rural and city areas and development is this question of access to information. Of course, this question of access to the internet, but not only, it's about also the question of uh, usage, uses of that, digital literacy. How can you manage to create your own web page to sell your product when you are a farmer, for example? I love this, I love this picture because, you know, when I was talking about ownership, one thing which is very important in the ideas box is the member card. And people are so proud to have a card, to be part of something. 
You know that in cities, but when you go to rural areas, it's much stronger. Women entrepreneurship. This is also a very, very important issue. And I'm sure that, you know, all the libraries around the world should be incubators for social entrepreneurs. Should be incubators, laboratories of innovation, of new ideas, of people who want to create initiative. They, they should be able to come to their library and to ask support, co-working space, help to create their business, their initiative to change the world. For me, librarians are social entrepreneurs. They are truly the change makers of tomorrow. It's not only about, you know, creative, these very interesting spaces. It's about how to manage them, how to get rid of this question of cataloging and to begin to interest yourself in people and in people's needs. I was saying that my concern is about the people who don't come to the library because these people cannot take benefit of the millions of resources that can provide a library. But before resources, I think that libraries must create this space, this creative space, and it can be only a room, it can be an ideas box, or it can be a 2,000 meter square library. You need to create this creativity space. And maybe, just to say something in the continuation of what we were talking earlier about this question of ritual, it was very interesting for me. You know, in Haiti, before creating these uh, very like uh, libraries under tents, we made like some trials, some tests, without any tents, with just like a, a box with some books and a manual, a guide to use these books for psychosocial activities. And we work with a psychologist, humanitarian psychologists, good expertise, who told us, you don't need like a formal space. You need to create the space in the head of the people who will come to the library. So you need a ritual. You need a ritual to begin the library and a ritual to end the library. And the psychologist called that the magical circle. I love this term. So you enter the magical system, so circle, you are in the library, or you are in this, you know, safe space. So the rituals were very simple, actually. You had only like a, it can be a, how oh, is that, a round? Like dancing with uh, uh, all the children, just to begin and to clap in the end, and say, yeah, it's open, let's begin. And they were beginning some activities, some reading aloud activities, stuff like that. And it was very interesting because it was working, actually. And you can create a library without any money, anywhere, as long as you start with a rituals, a starting ritual, and you end with an ending ritual. And for me, this space cannot exist without these social entrepreneurs, without these people that truly believe that this space is going to change the life of the people who are coming to the space. So I think it's time not only to think about what kind of resources I want to provide, 
It's time to think about your impact in terms of social impact, economic impact, how you really transform the life of population. For that, we created a platform. So I'm, I'm going to go quickly through that because it's only in French. I'm sorry about that, but we can totally translate it if you're interested in it. It's called BSF Campus. We did that with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And um, it's an e-learning platform with more than 10 hours of video lesson that focus on how libraries, librarians can become social entrepreneurs, how they can deal with innovation, how can they can deal with uh, impact, how they can deal with advocacy, how you can create some new facilitation um, activities and stuff like that. So yes, to finish with, I think that I began by, by, by explaining that I was not a librarian, but I would love to be a librarian. I would love to be in your seat, because you know, I think you are doing the most beautiful job of the world, but I, above all, think that you are doing the most important one. I was talking about change maker. I truly believe that to face the global issues, climate change, migrations, economic crisis, revolution, industrial revolution with the new technologies, we need these incredible spaces that bring people together to invent how we are going to deal with that. Because we are not like giving only this future creation to the policymaker. We are not going to do that. We need to control our future. We want to control our future. And we need spaces of democracy. We need spaces of criticized spirit. We need spaces where we can just meet and work together. And these spaces, for me, are libraries. Thank you very much.